As I said, I'm going to focus on Psalm 145 in our sermon for this morning. If you're the kind of person that likes to follow along, if you've got a Bible app or something like that, I'll give you a second to open it up. Psalm 145. Again, such a pleasure to be able to be with you guys this morning. Wish you God's grace and God's peace, my brothers, my sisters in Christ. Would you survive an audit? Not of your taxes, not of your finances, but of your speech. If someone could print off everything you've ever said, or even everything you've said just in the last month, the last week, and if they could look at everything, how would that make you feel? I would be petrified. Because <laughs> not only is there, there that stuff that I've said in the last month, the last week, the last 24 hours that I should not have said, but there's another reason that we would be quite vulnerable if someone could look at everything we've ever said, right? They would be able to tell the commonalities, the things that keep coming up. And when someone looks at a, would be able to look objectively at a whole thing of everything we've said, they would be able to tell where our hearts are at. Jesus said, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. And boy, isn't that true. If someone is constantly worried about their grades, it's probably going to come up, right? Someone's worried about their kids. They're going to find a way to work it into conversation. If someone is constantly criticizing themselves in their own head, they doubt themselves, they're going to speak it. And if someone is full of themselves, conceited and arrogant, no matter how hard they try to hide it, it's going to come through in the way they talk about themselves or other people, isn't it? The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. It can be kind of a scary thought, that we're not that good at keeping secrets. We're not that good at hiding what's in our heart, because it will come through in the way that we talk. So how do you talk? What is going on in your heart this morning? Y'all are looking at me with these very pleasant, smiling faces, but I know, because you're a human being, and because I am too, I can assume what's true for me is also true for you, you're going through stuff right now. Stuff that you might not want to talk to anyone about, but it is affecting the way you think and the way that you feel. My prayer for you this morning is as we go through again Psalm 145, our hearts will be filled up with the joy that can only come from Jesus Christ. Because the guy who wrote Psalm 145, his name is David. He's a guy from the Old Testament. This psalm is like 3,000 years old. What is his heart full of? What does he want to talk about? Well, let's read it again. Man... AC, blowing my pages. I will exalt you, my God, the King. I will praise you. I will praise your name forever and ever. Every day I will praise your name and exalt your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness no one can fathom. David's heart is full of the greatness of God plain and simple. He says, I'm going to talk about nothing else than how awesome God is. God, you are the king and your reign lasts forever. There's no president, there's no authority that can tell you what to do, God, and I think that is awesome. I'm going to talk about it forever. And forever is kind of an abstract concept, isn't it? But David says, no, 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 no. Day after day, I'm going to make it part of my daily routine talking about how great God is. That's what I'm going to do. And before we think David is alone in this, that he's out on an island just talking about God's greatness, he goes on to say that, man, 
He says, one generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak. I'll meditate. They, they tell. I will proclaim. They celebrate. They joyfully sing. David says, I'm just going to be one voice in a choir that lasts from generation to generation singing this song of God's praise. That the parents are going to take up this song of how great God is and their kids are going to pick up the tune where they left off and their kids are going to pick up where they left off on and on and on because the most important thing you can do with your joy is share it, right? That sounds awesome for David and for the Israelites. That sounds so great for them. But what about for us? If you're like me, you read verses like this and you're kind of like, well, that would be easy for you to say, David, because you saw God's goodness. David heard God speak. Isn't that cool? He saw God do amazing things through other people. So no wonder he's full of the greatness of God. The Israelites, they were God's chosen people, chosen nation throughout their history. They have all these examples of how wonderful God is. So, of course, they would be full of God's goodness. A little bit harder for you and me, isn't it? I would wager that of all the things we've talked about about God so far this morning, none of them are things you disagree with. None of them are things that you find hard to accept kind of comes with the territory of being a Christian, right? To accept that God is powerful, that he's in control, that he's bigger than us, that he's eternal, all this stuff. In fact, even if you're not a Christian and you're what we would call an agnostic, someone who believes in just a general higher power, even if that's you, you would probably agree that whoever God is, he is all these things, powerful, in control, eternal. That's not the issue. That's not the doubt that attacks my heart. I know God is powerful, but is he on my team? That's the question. I know God in his infinite wisdom, he's able to see what I'm going through, but will he do something about it? I know he could, but can I trust him is the issue. And if you're like me and you were born into a Christian family, you were raised Christian, you were taught not to say things like that, right? Don't say anything that expresses your doubt, but that's okay, you don't have to, because it comes through in the way that I speak, right? The way that I talk more about what's wrong with life than what's right. The way I talk like I don't know what the future is going to hold and I'm scared that all things are going to go to pot and that I'm just going to blow up and get destroyed, the way I talk with that level of stress, it betrays this doubt that's in my heart. I don't even need to speak it. It's going to come through in what I say, right? But are we really going to say that David from the Old Testament had an easier time not doubting God, not being stressed out? I don't know if you know that much about David, but he did not have an easy life. He was a king of Israel, but the way that his kingship started in Israel was the other king, the previous king, didn't want to give up his crown. He wanted David dead. He hated David's guts. So the first couple of years of David's reign as king of Israel, he was spent running for his life. You think that was stressful? Yeah, I would say so. And then when David did become king, he was a warrior king. He was a general king. He spent as many hours on the battlefield as he did asleep. 
Can you imagine he was in a pickle on the battlefield once or twice? He was a little stressed out, a little anxious, wondering if God was going to come through for him? Yeah, I'd say so. But a lot of us know that Sunday school story. Well, I don't know if you learned it in Sunday school, but of David's moral failure. Later on in David's life, he slept with another man's wife. And because of his sin, because of his selfishness doing that, the fallout was terrible. So many people were affected by David's sin. So David had problems, both outside himself and inside himself. So David knew what it was to be stressed out, to have doubts, and all this stuff that we go through too. Just like me. If we really think about all the things that we're anxious about, all the things that really bother us, aren't most of them my own fault? Aren't most of our problems in life because of stuff that we did, decisions that we made, stupid things we did that we shouldn't have done? But that's an even scarier thought because if we wonder if God's going to pull through for us now or in the future or on our deathbed, we know we're asking for way more than we deserve, aren't we? That's why we dare not speed through this psalm too fast because God wants us to focus on something. You can trust him. You can know that he's on your team. Because in the middle of all of these praise, praise phrases of God, you're great, you're glorious, you're wonderful, where does David go next? The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. The Lord is good to all. He has compassion on all he has made. Sometimes in our weaker moments, perhaps, we feel like we want to take God to court. Feel like we've got all this evidence stacked against him. Look, God, look at the time I needed you and you weren't there for me. Look at this time where you didn't come through for me. And we feel like we can prove that God's not on our team. But God's got his own evidence to shut us down, doesn't he? He comes into court and he presents Exhibit A. He created you. He didn't have to. He knew you would be a pain. He knew you would turn your back on him, but God loved you so much before you were born, and he wants you in this world. That's why you're here. God breathed the breath of life into your lungs because he loves you enough to bring you into this world. He is truly your heavenly father because you owe your life to him. He's the reason you're here. Exhibit B. You're here, physically, sitting here in in-town Lutheran Church or online watching us on the stream. You're alive. You're breathing. Think of how many things had to go right in the last couple hours for you to get here. You had to wake up. You had to get a ride to church. You probably, hopefully, got something to eat. And you're here. God has done so much right for you. It's just that we fixate on the wrong. But we don't even have to go back 24 hours, do we, to see how tremendously blessed we all are, do we? But before I forget, the coup de grace, the piece de resistance, the closing argument of God's court case, he sacrificed his son for you. You, his creation, that tur- you turned your back on him. He had no reason to love you, but he does. He does so much that he put Jesus on a cross 
to forgive you of all of your sin and give you heaven, the promise of heaven, as a free gift. God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What more proof do you need that God is on your side, that God loves you, that God has forgiven you, and that God will never leave you nor forsake you? All other blessings are just gravy, are just icing on the cake, are just extra credit because God has already conquered sin and death and hell for you. So anything else we get from God is just extra. That doesn't mean he's not going to give it, right? You know, when I read this, read this psalm in preparation for this sermon, I couldn't help but think about the Lord's Prayer that we're going to pray in a couple minutes. What do we pray when we pray the Lord's Prayer? Our Father in heaven, we owe your, our lives to you. You're our, you're our dad, kind of. You're our, our God, our Father. You created us, and you're up in heaven. Hallowed be your name. May we declare your name as holy. May we sing your praises, and may other people sing them too. Your kingdom come. You are king of the universe. Nobody tops you, God. Keep doing your thing as king. Let your kingdom come to us. Your will be done. God, we know you're wise, you're powerful, but you're also loving. So whatever you say goes, God. And even if we don't understand what you let happen, even if we disagree with the decisions that you make, we know you're good, you're better than us, so we, we follow your lead, God. Give us today our daily bread. Or, in other words, the eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desires of every living thing. I don't know how much you know about El Paso, but it is a desert climate, which means it's very, very difficult to keep plants alive. Not only that, but I am a terrible gardener. So my wife and I bought a house two years ago, and already half of the plants are dead. The grass is dying as well. Because, because I'm not very experienced. I don't really know what to do. Just spray a bunch of water at it and hope for the best, right? I don't have that good of a track record keeping plants alive. But how good is God's track record keeping his creation alive? If you looked at this psalm or if you noticed earlier, how many times did the word forever, forever and ever come up? And eternity is a long time. God has the track record of an eternity keeping the earth on, rotating on its axis. An eternity of keeping us from colliding into the sun, destroying all life on planet earth, right? An eternity of sending the seasons one after the other, watering crops, keeping animals alive so that we can eat, so that we can survive. Do you think that after all this time of providing for us, do you think God has given up just because you might need to go to Starbucks a little less often so you can afford to pay your gas bill? I don't think so. But maybe you don't find that very convincing. Maybe the fact that God has been there for you in the past does not, does not settle that, that voice in your head that says, yeah, but what about the future? Don't worry, God, God settles that too. He reminds us 
The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all he does. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry and saves them. The Lord watches over all who love him. How do you know God will continue to be there for you? How do you know that God will stick by your side in your dark times, in your peaks, as well as your valleys? Because that's who he is. He's not going to change. He has an amazing track record of being there for you and providing for you in the past, and he's not going to change because that's his DNA. He loves you. That's part of who he is. He is righteous in all his ways. He always does the right thing. He is far more faithful to us than we could possibly be to him. And he's near to you when you call on him. It's like he's standing by the phone. And when you fold your hands to pray, when you express your desires, your anxieties, your stresses to him, he picks up that phone and he's not going to say, what is it now? Can't believe you're bothering me again. But he says, yes, my dear child, can't wait to hear your prayer. Can't wait to come to your aid. Because don't worry, God is so powerful and so wise that he can handle giving individual specific attention to billions of people all at once. You're not bothering God. You're not catching, it, catching him at a bad time when you reach out and pray to him. He is always there for you, always near to you. So the question for this morning, for this week, for the rest of our lives is, how is that going to change the way that we talk? Now that we know that God is always there for us, now that we know that God always cares, that he will continue to provide, how is that going to affect the way we talk about what stresses us out in our lives, the way we speak to other people about what's going on, the way we speak to other people about where our priorities are? Well, can I make a suggestion? Well, let's let David make a suggestion. He ends his psalm this way. My mouth will speak in praise of the Lord. Let every creature praise his holy name forever and ever. Yes, let's. Amen.